Hey, thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to ask uh, one more time that you join me in prayer right now for uh, our friend Sean. He's the real tall guy, the triple amputee uh, that is in our church regularly. He's in the he's going through surgery right now, some pretty serious stuff. So uh, join me in prayer, Father. Thank you for Sean. Thank you for his uh, effervescent love for you and and joy in life. I uh, thank you for the example that he is uh, to us, to me. And uh, we collectively pray um, for your great hand uh, and will to be present in his life. Give the doctors great wisdom and compassion. Um, I pray that they treat him with great care and tenderness, that you allow that things won't be missed or overlooked. Uh, and I pray that his body responds exactly the way you designed the human body to respond. And when that falls short, may you make up the increase. Ultimately, Father, through his life, uh, and whatever that consists of, I pray that you be glorified. His desire is that he be a witness for you, Jesus, and your kingdom. And I pray that that happen in profound measure, um, through your allowance of what is going through right now. We rejoice in your choosing of him and your faithfulness to him, uh, and we, uh, we, we trust you, Father. We love you. You are a good God. Um, thank you for your care over Sean. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, um, this Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, we're supposed to wear our favorite team's jerseys. And since I'm a Raider fan, I chose to wear the Liberty High School jersey. Um, this is my youngest son's Wyatt's jersey that he was given. Um, I was talking to a dad on Friday who's a coach and has a little boy coming up. And he was asking me, how do you navigate and manage being a coach and a dad, how do you walk those, how do you walk that line? And, and, and one of the things I told him, I said, here's the thing. Um, your response to your son is this. I love watching you play. I love watching you perform. I love watching you fail. I love watching you get back up. I love watching you do your thing. I said, you, you just need to make sure that your son knows that you are not always his coach. When he's on the field and time to coach, it's time to coach. But other than that, you are his daddy that loves watching him do his thing regardless of outcome. I said, so here's, this is what I told him. I said, if, if I could watch one football player play one game, all the greats go through my mind. But when I come down to it, and if I had to decide, I would choose to watch my son Joe, my son Caleb, and my son Wyatt play one more game. I, I, I understand what it is to be a parent and to have your kids in the middle of athletic endeavors and how important it is at the time and how all-consuming it feels. But I also know 
that there's going to come a time when those times are gone. And I, I told this guy, I said, here's the thing. You as a daddy need to make sure that your son understands that you love watching him do his thing regardless of how it turns out because it's going to end one day. And your son needs to look back and say, all I know is my daddy loved watching me do my thing. I loved watching my boys do their thing. When it was time for me to coach them, I coached them, I coached them hard because that's what I do. But the moment that was over, the only thing, son, I just love watching you do your thing. Man, such a joy. So if you parents are in the midst of it right now, man, just enjoy it. Take the throttle off. It is not life or death. It's fun and it's a joy, and just enjoy them. You understand? You get it? And if those times have passed you by, the only thing, even as older adults, they need to hear from you is one of the greatest joys I had was watching you do your thing. Regardless of how they did. Does it make sense? I don't know who that was for. It was for my buddy on Friday morning for sure. And I don't know if that's for any of you out there, but I want you to, I want you to, if it is for you, just remember that. Just enjoy it, man. Pretty soon you won't have it to enjoy. Does that make sense? So in this series, Unstoppable, last week we looked at Acts 19, and this week we're in Acts 20. In Acts 19, Paul was in a place called Ephesus. And he's leaving Ephesus at the end of 19, beginning of 20. And he wants to get back to Jerusalem. He travels through northern Greece. And in going back to Jerusalem, travels down through Asia Minor again, where Ephesus was, is. Travels down through Asia Minor. But he's en route to Jerusalem. And he doesn't want to stay, he doesn't want to spend a lot of time traveling through Asia Minor because it's going to lead him to this place, Ephesus, that he loves and he loves the people. But he knows he has to get to Jerusalem by a time frame because of the, the festivals that they were celebrating. And he wanted to be there for Passover celebration. And so he knows if he spends a lot of time going through Asia Minor in Ephesus, they're going to want him to stay. I mean, he spent three years there already. And and he doesn't want to spend a bunch of time with them. Not because he didn't love them, because he's got to get in his mind to Jerusalem. That's where he's set to go, Jerusalem. But he stops in Ephesus for a very short time just to talk to the leaders, the elders of the church. There are times when, um, though you might love to talk to everybody, you just can't. There are times when I just need to talk to those in charge because I know they're going to talk to others, but I need to focus on these few. And so that's what Paul's doing. As a good leader, that's what he's doing. I can't say yes to the masses. I need to say no to the masses so I can say yes to a few because that's my priority right now. And that's understandable. And so he gathers these elders together and he gives them basically this, this charge. And as I read this, understanding where we've been in Acts and what, what, what has been and what's coming. As I read this, I see it as, as, as 
almost a blueprint for an unstoppable life. Because as I look at Paul, he was unstoppable for the kingdom. And, and so what I see him saying is, I, 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 I was reading this thinking, this is, this is a blueprint for an unstoppable life. And, and so I want to share this with you, primarily the verses 18 through 35. And then, and then given the time, I want to get into, into uh, chapter 21, just a little bit of chapter 21, because it kind of culminates there. And so, so, so here's what an unstoppable life is comprised of. First, it's an open life. An unstoppable life is an open life. And this is what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 14 and going, uh, sorry, 17 and going to verse 18. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When he arrived, he said to them, this is verse 18, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. He said, look, my life was an open book. I didn't hide things. I didn't sugarcoat things. I was completely authentic. Now, Paul can say, you know how I lived from a standpoint of incredible security and authority because he did things right from the start. As I look at this, I think, Carl, one of the ways that you need to be unstoppable, it needs to start with you being open and authentic. So, And I think I can say I've lived an open life. Not that I've done everything right, but I've lived an open life because you all have seen me in the pulpit and on the sidelines. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open and transparent with who I am. There's not a lot of pretense. There, there's, 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 there's not a lot of religiosity. Is, there's just an openness to say, I, I know who I am. And one of the things that Paul is an example for us is to be real and authentic without a bunch of religious pretense. I've lived in open, you know who I am. I've been, I've been open with you the whole time I've been here. It's not a perfect life, but it's an open life about who I am. And if you, if, 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 if y'all wanna start like taking steps toward a, a more unstoppable life, it has to start with being open and authentic with who we are. And here's what that means for us. I was just talking about this in, in my Wednesday night Bible study in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 tells the story of how God created man out of the dust of the earth. Do you know what that means? It means we're dirty. We were made from dirt. It means we're dirty people. That's an open and honest life when you can say, no, that's me. I got some dirt. There is dirt on me because that's who I am. And the thing I love about that is what I see in Psalm 103. And we talked about this on my Wednesday Bible study too. Listen how profound this is. When you can admit and realize that I'm dirt. That's where I come from. It's who I am. Because of what it tells us in Psalm 103, starting verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Watch this, verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, praise God. Or repay us according to our iniquities, praise God again. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, 
So as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Watch this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Here it is. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. So he knows what we're made of. He knows who we are. He knows our sin and our transgressions and our iniquity. He withholds his anger. He doesn't level against us what all those deserve. And the reason he doesn't is because he knows that we are dirt. Part of living an open life is saying, I know who I am and I'm not playing games. I may have dirt. But where my dirt abounds, grace abounds more. So I'm open with who I am. I'm honest with who I am. I've failed many times. And when I do, God's grace is profound and it is beautiful. Do you understand that? Which leads him to the next thing, because not only says you have to have an open life, but you have to have a humble life. Verse 19. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by, by the Jews, by the plots of the Jews. He said, I served with great humility and tears. An unstoppable life starts with an open life. I know who I am. And the moment I realize who I am, that I am nothing but dirt, that humbles me. See, it's my pride and my arrogance that says I am okay. I don't have issues like you have issues. I'm further down the road than you. I'm a little bit better. The moment we can be humble and say, no, no, I too am dirt and God knows who I am, that creates humility in us. Does that make sense? This is one of the things that is so difficult for this culture because this culture is addicted to social media. And the backbone of social media is the opposite of humility. The the backbone of social media is self-promotion. Just try sometime to post about how humble you are. You can't do it with any type of authenticity. And so this is part of the, this is part of the difficulty with our culture right now. We are so addicted and driven to the social media milieu that all it exists to do is promote ourselves. Or our kids' achievements. And it teeters on arrogance after arrogance after arrogance, followed by pride. And so what Paul's saying is, I lived an open life. I was honest about who I am. And, 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 And I am a man of grace because of who I've been. And that humbles me. James 4.10 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. He'll do that in his time, in his way. Paul will say later, have the same mind in you that Christ had, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, though it was rightfully his, who made himself the form of a slave, of a servant. Have that mind. He humbled himself. Paul will go on to say this this thing of humility is so important, he'll boil it down to marriage. And he'll say this thing of humility is so important. You husbands, love your wife 
As Christ loved the church, how did he love the church? He gave himself, he humbled himself, took the form of a servant and a slave for her and humbled himself and served her with his very being. This humility thing is a big deal. And so Paul says, be open and honest about who you are, realize your dirt and that God's grace has stepped in. Make sure you remember who you are so you'll stay humble. And then he says this. He says, an unstoppable life has to involve hardship. So I serve the Lord with humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. He said, there's some people that, that continue to cause me some real trouble. Any of you have people like that in your life? Yeah. It's to be expected. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. If the world hated me, you'll follow me. It's going to hate you too. Just get ready. We have to have hardship in us. We have to have trouble in our life. It cannot be God fixed this, God fixed that, God removed this, God solved that. It can't be why. Because troubles are what draw our minds heavenward. And Paul will say to the church in Colossae, set your minds on heaven where Christ is seated. And one of the best ways God draws our minds heavenward is by troubles. Because we yearn for the day when God wipes away every tear, when he answers every request, when he is the whole solution but that only happens in heaven. And so troubles on earth are partly designed to draw our hearts and our, and our minds there where Christ is seated, where he's already victorious. James 1 says, consider it pure joy when you encounter troubles of all kinds because you know in the end, those troubles that you face are gonna produce endurance and patience, perfecting your faith. We gotta have troubles if we're gonna live an unstoppable life. The mere fact of saying the word unstoppable means there's something that could stop you, but it doesn't. Troubles. And so Paul's saying, look, here's the thing. Be open and honest. Understand who you are and that God's grace has intervened despite who you are. Humble yourself. Don't be a poser. Go through hardships and accept them as ordained by God at some level for your protection, for your perfection. And then he says this, an unstoppable life is a life of public and private witness. An unstoppable life is a life of public and private witness. This is how he says it. You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. He said... I was open about who I was and about who I followed. I was open about my hardships. And, and I was open about who I was privately, those who knew me best and behind closed doors, and publicly, those in my huddle. I, I had a witness that was both private at home and public at work, at school, on a ball field. Everybody knew. You cannot, what he's saying is, we cannot be covert Christians. We, we can't be Christians behind a closed door only. We're, we're disciples of Christ privately with our heart and publicly with our strength. 
That's what Jesus means when he says, love me with the love of the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, strength, privately and publicly. Our, our witness has to be both. And we have to be open and humble in both arenas, privately and publicly. Does this make sense? You, you track it with me so far? This is an unstoppable life. And then he says, an unstoppable life in verse 22, is not hampered by the unknown. Look at what he says. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He said, that's where I'm headed. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there, but that's where I'm headed. He was not hampered by the unknown. Listen, just because something is unknown to you and me doesn't mean it's unknown to God. And just because I don't know what's happening doesn't mean I ain't going. God uses the unknown to both test and build our faith by leading us into the unknown. And most of us, most of us, will follow God as long as at the beginning he tells us how it's going to go down. Right? As long as he reassures us, you're going to be okay. Then we say, okay, I'll follow. That's how most of us do it. We are afraid of the unknown. So we don't follow. Right? Want me to prove it to you? Okay, thank you. <laughs> let, let, let me prove it to you regarding this taboo church word called tithing. Most of us will say, 10%? Right off the top? That... Some of you will say, oh, that's an Old Testament thing. That's not a New Testament thing. I would say, you don't know your Bible. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, yes, you should tithe and do the other important stuff too. But even if you want to talk about the tithe, let's talk about being generously sacrificial, which is more than a tithe. And most people would say, you know what, though? I wouldn't have a problem doing that if God convinced me on the front end that he was going to return everything I gave to him. If he would just assure me of that, tithing's not a problem. Which is so interesting to me because that's exactly what God has said. He said, whatever measure you use will be used to give back to you, except I'm going to press it down and shake it up so there's room for me to overflow what you've given. So he's already given us that promise. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and flood on you so much blessing. You want room to contain it all if you just trust me in time. And most people, if God would just prove it, I'll do it. Well, an unstoppable life is not hampered by the unknown. Do you understand? So Paul says, I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. It is unknown to me. But I'm going. This is why we say all the time, give God a yes on the front end without knowing what's coming. Because that builds an unstoppable life of a disciple of Christ. 
Christians will not say no on the front end. Disciples will. Unhampered by the unknown. This is exactly what God asked of Abraham way back when he was starting to pull out this people from the nation to be his own people. He told Abraham, leave where you're going and go to the place I will show you. And so he said, Abraham, I'm gonna walk you into the unknown future. Trust me enough to just leave and start stepping. And Abraham was unhampered by the unknown. Look at verse 23. To live an unstoppable life, it has to be a life of determination. Verse 23, in 22, Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. Then he says in verse 23, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. He says, I don't know exactly what's going to go down in Jerusalem, but I do know this, that in every city, the Holy Spirit has already told me that prison and hardship are waiting for me there. A life of determination. The Holy Spirit has warned Paul, Paul, if you go, prison and hardship are what's coming. Sounds like a pretty firm warning, doesn't it? How many of us at this place would say, well, maybe, huh, maybe it's not wise to go right now. Maybe I'll wait for a better time, because after all, when God closes the door, he opens a window, so maybe I'll look for a window. <laughs> Sometimes that's a dumb thing to say. Sometimes God closes the door because he wants you at a closed door. Doesn't mean it's wrong. See, here's something that Paul understood. Never confuse a prediction with a prohibition. God was predicting what was going to happen. He wasn't saying, don't go. God's warning is preparing Paul, not prohibiting him. The Holy Spirit saying, Paul, when you go, you're going to be harassed, you're going to be troubled, you're going to be beat up, you're going to go to jail. I just want you to know that ahead of time. He never said, don't go. He just said, get ready for what's coming. You understand that? Most of us would say, well, if that's what God's saying, obviously that's not God's will. Maybe it is. We have to understand that God's warning us of what's coming is not him prohibiting us oftentimes. Our life has to be not hampered by the unknown and a life of determination. Paul is living a life that is completely unstoppable. Now watch what else he says. He also says it has to be a, a life of release where you get your hands off it. In, 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 in verse 32, there's a lot of things he says here about the church and, and being watching over the church. And, but in verse 32, he says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are, who are sanctified. He's saying, I've done all I can do, and now I'm getting my hands off this. I'm gonna let God 
take over and determine what happens according to his grace, not according to my control. And there are often times in life where we have to get our hands off of the control and say, God, now it's dependent upon your grace. And I'm confident enough in your grace to get my hands off. We have to get to that point in our lives where we stop trying to control every little thing and let God direct, even if it leads to hardship in prison. You understand? We have to get to that place with our kids. Once our kids grow up and, and, and are adults, we've got to get our hands off them and trust them to God's grace. Especially once they get to that age of marriage and they get married. The Bible says to leave and cleave. As parents, we've got to let them leave. They're not ours anymore. They've cleaved unto their spouse and they are theirs. And we have to entrust them to the grace of God. And a parent who doesn't learn that, who still parents after marriage, they're, they're going to cause their kid a ton of trouble. And there has to come a place in every area of life where we say, God, I am not going to be in control. This is yours. And I'm going to trust it to your grace. You follow me? You understand? And the moment you can do that, there is so much liberation. There is so much security. There is so much assurance that the life becomes unstoppable. When you leave it to God's grace and get your hands off the control, but there is so much that becomes unstoppable for you now because you're not worried about the control. Let me move on. Did you know that, that all we're supposed to, we're just supposed to be faithful to obey and we're, like God, we're supposed to let God be faithful for the results. Does that make sense? Some of you need to hear that word today. Start living a life of release. Quit trying to control everything. Trust God's grace. And then Paul says, he says, in order to live an unstoppable life, you've got to live a generous life. You've got to be open and honest with who you are because that will keep you humble. You've got to endure the hardships because they're coming. Your witness has got to be in the midst of hardships, both private and public. You're not going to know what's coming. Just, just don't let that deter you. Just get your hands off it. Trust by God's grace. And in the midst of all that, live a generous life. Look at what Paul says. This amazes me in verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember, watch this. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself. And he quotes Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Here's the problem with that. We don't see that anywhere in the Gospels. Nowhere do we have Jesus saying the words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But Paul says Jesus said it and even quotes it here in quotations. Where did Jesus ever say this? We don't know. What I suspect is that Jesus told him this when he was alone being taught by the Holy Spirit in the desert of Arabia all those years. I think he had this moment with Jesus when Jesus told him specifically, Paul, you need to understand this because I need you to tell some people nobody wrote this down when I said it way back when. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's why that's important. When Jesus preached the most famous message that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he started the whole thing in Matthew 5 with blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. You want to be blessed? Here to do. You want to be blessed? Here it is. You want to be blessed? Here it is. It's, it's how to be blessed. But here he says, you want to be more blessed? Give. Don't just expect to receive. 
So here's the thing, church. You want more blessing? Maybe you don't. I don't know. I do. Be more generous than you are open-handed asking for something. See, I thought of it this way. Rather than only asking blessing from God, God bless my marriage, bless my finances, bless my kids, bless my job, bless my health, you are more blessed to ask God, what do you want me to give to you? There's more blessing there. God has more blessing to pass it, to hand out to you when we start asking God, what, what, what do you want me to give to you? Not just what can I get from you? Does that make sense? All of this makes an unstoppable life. Now, here's the thing. This leads me to, to, to chapter 21, and I realize that I have one minute left. But, but, but I'm, I'm going to do this. If you got to go, I understand. But here's the thing. The Super Bowl doesn't start till 3.30. I'm going to get you out before 3 o'clock. Just understand that, okay? All right? So let me just, but I understand. Let me just finish this. So all this is leading Paul, because where does he want to go? Remember? Say it louder. He wants to go to Jerusalem. And so he's stopping off in Ephesus, telling the leaders of churches, but he wants to, he wants to go to Jerusalem where he knows that pain and trouble are waiting for him. He knows it. The Spirit of God told him. And so he's telling these people, I want to go to Jerusalem now. And in verse four, look at what it says. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days, though the Spirit, though through the, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So the Christians in his life are saying, Paul, we've been praying about this. We've been fasting. The Spirit of God is telling us to tell you, don't go to Jerusalem. But where does he want to go? But the Christians are saying, through the Holy Spirit, don't go. For seven days, they're telling him, don't go. <laughs> Do you think God might be talking to him? You go down a little further, and in verse 8, you read about this guy. Uh, um, his name is Philip, and he was part of the, the seven that were chosen way back uh, in Acts 6 to take over the, the ministry of the church. And so he's, he's lived in this area. He's got these, these daughters that are prophetesses. And, and, and you go to verses 10 and 11, and after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And so not only do you have the Christians around him saying, the Holy Spirit told us, Paul, don't go. Now you have clergy telling him, the Holy Spirit told us, don't go. If you go, and the guy is so freaking dramatic, man. I mean, he goes, takes Paul's belt off and finds his hands. And the Holy Spirit said, the owner of this belt's going to be bound. Like, why do you got to be so dramatic? But some people are, you know, thespians that way, and they got to make a spectacle. You could have just said, Paul, this is free. Everyone knows it's Paul's belt. You could have just said, Paul, this is talking to you. But clergy in his life are saying, don't go. The Holy Spirit told me to tell you. How many of us at this point would be saying, well, maybe... Maybe I need to wait for a different time, right? And then look at verse 12. His own companions are saying the same thing. When we heard this, 
We and the people there pleaded with Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. The Christians in his life, the clergy in his life, and his own companions, saying the Spirit of God has told us to tell you, don't go. Pleading with him. Watch this. Paul knows the difference between God preparing him and prohibiting him. All those warnings are exactly from the Holy Spirit of God. It wasn't the words that were wrong. The interpretation was wrong. God was preparing him, not prohibiting him. Paul didn't doubt the words of God. He doubted the interpretation of man. He's saying, you're hearing what's happening to me, and you're taking it as a prohibition not to go. I hear what God's saying as, as a preparing me for what's ahead because I'm going to Jerusalem. And God is preparing me so that I don't back off and back up once I get there because it's going to get hard. See, here's what happens. We tend to judge God's will based on our blessing. In other words, if it blesses us, it must be God's will. And if it hurts us, it must not be God's will, right? And we get it so bass backwards. Sometimes God's will doesn't lead us to what we understand as blessing. God is preparing Paul. He's not prohibiting him. And so watch Paul's interpretation of this whole thing. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. Paul would go to Jerusalem and eventually be arrested and spend the rest of his life in chains, in jail and house arrest, being released just for a very short time and rearrested again, jailed and beheaded under Caesar Nero. This decision to go led to his chains for the rest of his life and beheading. Was it the right decision? Was it the right decision? Maybe he should have listened to all those people telling him no. It was the right decision. Here's how you know. Because of Paul's own words that he wrote while he was in jail. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened, jail, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It's become unstoppable. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become unstoppable in their confidence in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. They're unstoppable. Because we serve an unstoppable God and part of an unstoppable kingdom. And I will not be dissuaded. See, Paul, the measure of Paul's life was not based on the physical comfort, but by his spiritual calling. And an unstoppable kingdom life is a life that will not be dissuaded, come what may.
I will not back down and I will not shut up. I will not close the doors. Unstoppable. What would make Paul live a life like this? What would make him? Why would he be willing to give his life when he could have saved it? What what made Paul willing to suffer and even willing to die for Christ? I'll tell you what. Because he had experienced the great love of Christ. It's Paul who said, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Who loves like that? He said, some people might die for a good person, but nobody would die for a bad person. Yet God loved me that much. And once you, once I experience that kind of love, the only response is, God, I will give you all of me back, even my very life. Unstoppable. Once you've experienced that kind of If you're coming to God for what you can get out of them, you already know how stoppable you are. All you have to do is face hardship and difficulty. But if you're coming to God because you understand this crazy love that he has for you, your response is, God, here's everything, including my life. I'm your disciple. And so, if you're a Christ follower, and this has not been your story, consider for a moment, what has stopped you from this type of response? What has hindered you? Understand that that is, identify it and sacrifice it. On the altar of commitment. And if you're not a Christ follower yet, my prayer is that today you would understand the incredible, crazy love that God has for you. That while you, in the dirt of who you are, just like I am, that God loves you so much he would die for you. When people would scarcely die for a good person, that you would understand the Easy depth of his love. And be so overwhelmed with this God who doesn't have to but chooses to love you and to choose you as his own. That your response would be, God, I'm going to give you everything. Change and transform me. I too want an unstoppable life. His love never fails, even though I do. And his love never fails, even though nobody else wants to say it like I did. Thank you, Lori. His love never fails, even, even though I do. And that's why the psalmist wrote Psalm 103. He knows what I say. And that just makes me love him even more. He is worthy of my life. And if need be, he's worthy of my death.
because he's already secured for me eternal life. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you that your love never fails. Thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that you pursue us and continue to. Thank you that nothing we could do would make you love us more and nothing that we do would make you love us less. That it is constant and is unfailing. Father, some of us have understood that and have given you our lives. And yet, though we've understood that and given you our lives, have become very, very, very stoppable. Because of difficulties, because of hardships, because of the unknown, because of a lot of reasons. But some of us are realizing the depth of commitment you have to us first and our response because of that. Friends, if that's you, you have a relationship with, with, with the Father through the Son. But you know that your life and your faith has been anything but unstoppable. I'd invite you in this moment just simply to say and have an honest, open, humble conversation with the Father. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I've let a lot of things interfere with me following you. And I've become very stoppable. I confess that to you. Whatever that is, would you just tell, have an honest conversation. God, this is what it is. You know it and I know it. This is, this is what stopped. Would you take a, st- a step of repentance? Say, Father, I repent. I'm going, I'm going to go the other way now. I sacrifice that and give it to you. As best as I know how, I will live an unstoppable life. Holy Spirit, help. For some of you who haven't accepted Jesus as the leader of your life, I'm going to invite you right now to choose to understand the depth of his love for you. You know who you are. And he knows who you are. And he loves you. He's chosen to die for you. And I invite you in this moment to say, God, thank you that you love me so much that you would have your son die in my place. Today I choose you. Forgive me of my sin. I accept your forgiveness. And I choose to follow you as best as I know how for the rest of my days. Honor yourself through my life. And as much as I know how, I choose to live an unstoppable life for you. Help me. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that as we come before you in repentance and confession, that you always receive and never turn away. And that you make new and you rebirth what we've killed and sacrificed. Do that in us so we'll have a greater testimony for your kingdom. Help us love you more. And there's some of us in this church, Father, that want to live an unstoppable life. Help us. For your name's sake. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it already exists in heaven. We love you. Help us love you more. In your name I pray, amen.
Listen, I told you I'd get you out before three. We're well before three. We're going to sing one song, but here's how I want to do it. I don't want you to stand up right away. I want you to use this time just to contemplate a little bit. We don't often take enough time to slow down and not rush to the next thing on the agenda. Just relax for a minute. And contemplate and breathe and think and just be present for a moment. And we're going to sing a song about Jesus sure. <laughs> and about undying, never-ending. Neither does Jesus's. Um, I don't know if you caught that. Um, a song about his, his, his unfailing love. And so as Jeff and Ellen, the band, as, as, they, as they play the song and sing, just sit there for a moment. And when it's time for you, when you've internalized that, you've understood that, and you're like, yeah, that's it. It deserves everything. Then I want you to stand up. So, so, so that the outward body represents the inward heart. I don't want it to be so lazy and like whatever. You're like, okay, is it, come on. Nor do I want to be a stand up. Everybody else stand up. I guess best stand up. Like, make this a time between you and God. Let it penetrate. And if and when it has, as a step of confession and consecration, God, I'm yours. And I stand in affirmation. I I will be unstoppable for the kingdom. Does that make sense? I love you. And I love going through the Bible together. All right? One more thing. Please remember that the football game today is not about Taylor Swift, okay? We got that? <laughs> Allie, you understand that? Okay? Okay. I love you. Let's sing.